Welcome to Brighton Adventure Story Podcast. Chapter 21. Angry Wasps. Fred's discovery certainly shed some light on the strange map, but it did not entirely solve it. He and Elsie had been at the kitchen table while the Green Hands gang recounted their run-ins with the droplifters. During the call, Fred brought up Jenny's image of the map on the laptop to try and make sense of it. Elsie had her green water bottle next to her and kept sipping from it noisily. Fred had to keep making sure that they were muted. He didn't want the rest of the Green Hands gang to hear her slurping up the last drops from the bottom of the bottle. She teased him by moving it right next to his ear, which was when the side of the bottle almost hit him in the eye as he was looking at the map and... If you look at it through something green, it cuts out all the other colours, Fred said to everyone on the call. James quickly looked around his desk for something he could use as a green filter. He didn't have one, but there was a blue sweet wrapper in his bin. He fished it out and found the image of the map. It works with blue too, he said, holding the wrinkled wrapper to his eye while looking at the map. Totally clears it up. I wonder if it works for other colours. The other members of the Green Hands gang all wanted to try it. James ended the call and set off around his house looking for other coloured glass or plastic to look through. The kitchen would be the best place to start. He opened a cupboard where he was sure there was a red coloured glass bottle that his mum put flowers in sometimes. He was so excited he hadn't seen his mum and dad sitting at the kitchen table. Bedtime, James, his dad said. James froze and stood up. Just needed a drink, he said. Thought I'd put it in a bottle and take it up to my room. He looked back in the cupboard but the red bottle wasn't there. He stood up again and saw it in the middle of the kitchen table with flowers in. Another idea buzzed into his mind. He grabbed a normal glass and filled it up. Night, he said, taking himself and the glass out of the kitchen and back upstairs. He emptied the glass hurriedly into the bathroom sink on the way. Back at his desk, he searched his drawers, roughly sweeping things to the side until he found what he was looking for a pack of felt-tipped pens. He drew a rainbow of coloured patches on the glass, testing each one against the map. By holding the glass to his face, he could look through the felt-tipped patch at the image of the map. It was a bit distorted by the curved glass, but it worked. A few minutes later, he shared his findings in chat. He'd found that there were at least five different layers to the map, each one revealed by a colour. Green, blue, red, yellow and orange had all worked as filters. If you look through them, rather than coloured spaghetti, you could see one clear set of lines and symbols. The bad part was that even with the single colour, the meaning of the lines and symbols was still a mystery. He stayed up late trying to work it out while chatting with whoever in the gang was still awake before finally tearing himself away from the netbook and falling straight to sleep. The morning came and almost went by the time James woke up. He groaned and checked the time. His alarm clock wasn't where it usually was, on the edge of his desk. He rubbed his eyes and sat up, tracing the alarm clock's power cord. It was wedged down the back of the desk against the wall. He fished it out. It was 11.20 already. James had wanted to use his 30-minute exercise time to sabotage the droplifter's hideout in Withdean Park. If he got there early enough, there wouldn't be any droplifters around. But now it was nearly lunchtime. He dragged himself over to his desk and checked the Green Hands gang chat. He was surprised that, 
after the pummeling they'd taken the day before, the droplifters were still out stealing parcels. Ziggy had soaked another one with a hose, Frank and Arlo had two with their water bombs. Joe and Millie's whiteboard delivery was an hour late, but they put a message in chat to say that it had arrived at 11. They had quickly switched it with a carefully prepared laptop box. Seconds later, two droplifters swooped by and took the booby-trapped package. Then there was a fun exchange where people tried to guess what the booby-trap was. Oliver. Electrified? Joe Millie. Nope. Juan. Some kind of bomb? Joe Millie. Nope. Mr. E. Sticky glue? Joe Millie. Incorrect. Wilf Laurie. Fire? Joe Millie. Not sure that's possible. Fred Elsie. Poison? Joe Millie. No way. Ziggy. Radioactive isotope? Joe Millie. Not this time. Frank Arlo. Tarantulas? Joe Millie. Close. Then followed a long list of creatures, ranging from snakes to crabs. Eventually, Joe and Millie spilled the beans. Wasps. Big, angry wasps. There was a nest in the back of their garden, and they'd just started coming out and bothering them when they ate lunch on their patio. So Joe and Millie had got a bit of wood that weighed about the same as a laptop, covered it in jam, and put it in the box. Then they left the box right under the nest until it was full. Of wasps. Big, angry wasps. James was glad he hadn't been the one who had to fetch the box and tape it up. He just wished he could be there to see the looks on the unsuspecting thieves' faces when they opened the wasp box. James checked the other chat channels. The rat relief packages were working. Jenny had met with Zen and Bobby, who reported that the Rattestons' inhabitants were in good spirits. And there had been no more long man sightings at the rockery, which was good news. The messages from the rest of the gang spurred him into action. He dressed and got his spike strip ready. It was a finger-pricking creation, a fabric tape measure with nearly a hundred drawing pins pushed through it. He rolled it carefully into his bag, only getting spiked once, and headed out, then quickly went back into his bedroom and pulled on his face mask. It was Saturday morning, and both his parents were in the little conservatory at the back of their house. He told them he was going for his exercise. His mum looked at him quizzically and said she'd see him in half an hour. Opening the front door, James was set back by two things. His own memory and the weather. For the first time in weeks and weeks, the sky was grey and a wind whipped at his t-shirt. And he had forgotten that his tyre was flat. He'd let it down as his excuse for being late. Connecting the valve and ignoring the goosebumps on his arm, he soon warmed up through the effort of pumping the tyre up. Then he set out for Withdean Park. The wind was against him all the way, strong enough to make tears in his eyes and add a few minutes to the journey time. Hopefully he would make it up on the way back. He was not exactly sure how to get to the droplifter hideout. He knew roughly where it was, as he'd seen it from above. But from ground level, it was much less obvious. Climbing back up the massive tree was probably the best thing to do, but he didn't fancy being up high getting buffeted by the wind. In the end, he got lucky. While he was checking round the back of a big tree, a bike zipped past. The rider was hooded and masked. A droplifter. James followed, down a track, over a little broken section in a flint wall, and through a trampled path in waist-high wind-blown grass. 
and there was the huge bramble. From the ground it was even bigger than it had looked from the high branch. Great impenetrable walls of twisted limbs, it was a thorned castle. Even the strong gusts of wind, which bent the trees on either side, didn't seem to have an effect on it. There were half a dozen bikes parked in a row up against a narrow gap in the near side. Spurred on by the tales of glory from the rest of the Greenhand's gang, James decided to scrap the spike strip and push a drawing pin into each wheel by hand. He put his bike down at the end of the row, swung his bag off his back and got to work. The hard bit was pulling the drawing pins out of the tape measure without getting jabbed. Sticking them into the drop lifter tyres was easy. He reached the last bike when a shout came from behind. Hey, what are you doing? Two more drop lifters rolled out of the long grass. They stopped their bikes right in front of James. He turned to face them. They were big, both of them easily a foot taller and wider than James. One had drawn a smile with a marker pen on his dirty white face mask, but neither of them looked happy to see James. Guard duty, he said as confidently as he could. Someone's got to keep an eye out just in case some stupid kid comes along. Some stupid kid? You mean like you? The one with the smile said. He took a step toward James. Give me that. He grabbed at the rucksack, but James was faster, ducking away. But he was not fast enough to avoid the swinging arm of the other boy. It caught him across the shoulder and shoved him to the ground. The boy put a foot on James's chest to hold him there. James squirmed to get out, but the boy trod harder, squeezing the breath out of James's lungs. I ain't seen you before, he said. And what you done to your eyes? You wearing makeup or something? I'm an apprentice, James managed. Look. He held out his right arm to show them the three thin scars. The droplifters looked at it and then at each other. I remember him from the other night, the smiler said. Didn't even squeak when the cowboy's cat scratched him. All right, let him up. You can look after ours as well. James struggled to his feet. The boys roughly shoved their bikes into him before he was ready and he tumbled back down. We picked up a sweet delivery already, Smiler said. Proper sweet. Yeah, the other one said. This should make up for all the trouble we had yesterday. Smiler opened the flap of his bulging courier bag and inside was an expensive looking laptop box. The droplifters went through the narrow entrance into the bush. James desperately wanted to see the droplifters open the package but he did not want to be anywhere near it when they did, and he definitely didn't have time to climb the big tree and watch them from above. He pushed more drawing pins into the tyres of the new bikes, then jammed the two bikes into the entrance gap, tangling them together and into the snagging brambles either side. He picked his bike up and pushed it away into the long grass. A moment later, he heard a terrible buzzing noise erupt, followed by the hysterical shout of, Close it! Close it! The shouts and the buzzing grew louder, and a few wasps drifted out of the bramble entrance, followed by an escaping droplifter. They stumbled into the bikes and tried to climb over, but just ended up getting caught in the brambles as more droplifters piled up behind them, pushing and shoving to get out. And then the pressure was too great and the bikes sprang free. Eight droplifters burst from the gap, shouting and howling and jumping and swatting, Smiler dived onto the grass and rolled around like he was trying to put out a fire. A cloud of wasps came after them, and luckily for the writhing thieves, the insects were mostly dispersed by the wind. James had seen enough. He pedalled home with the wind at his back and a smile on his face. If that didn't stop the doorstep daylight robbery, he didn't know what would. 
He sailed home in record time. Still out of breath, he checked the gang chat and told everyone how well Joe and Millie's booby trap had worked. The rest of his day was spent peering through the felt-tip coloured glass at the image of the map. By bedtime he had an idea about a couple of the lines. He discovered a little symbol of a clock in the green layer. He thought it might mark the locations of the clock towers, but there were six of them, not four, and they weren't in the right place relative to each other. Four of the clocks, if he switched to the blue filter, had blue lines running through them. That could mean the blue line was the River Wellsbourne running through the underground caverns. But when he traced the blue lines, they didn't behave like a river at all. They kept doubling back and doing loops in the wrong direction. And he had revised his opinion on the dotted and dashed lines. They couldn't have been paths, the way they crossed between the layers. But they were the only straight lines on the map. It was very frustrating, but challenging at the same time. He decided to use his 30 minutes on Sunday to meet up with Jenny and look at the map itself. That might help clear it up. As he drifted off to sleep, he could hear the wind rushing through the trees in his neighbour's garden. Rain was forecast for the next few days, lots of it. And although a change in the weather might be good for the plants, he couldn't help thinking that it had something to do with the long man.